Ladies and gentlemen, listening everywhere, welcome back for episode 123 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve. This other guy is Jarman. And we're going to co-host the hell out of this thing. We're going to try. And this week is a very special episode, just like all of them. I know we always say that. We are finishing our more than two and a half year, I think, review series of all the Muppet movies to appease me and all the Star Trek movies to appease Jarman. Has it been that and long? This is it. It's been forever. It's been at least two years <laughs> we've been doing this. Man. Uh, so Star Trek Beyond, we are reviewing today for our main segment. That's it. Until more Muppets or more Star Trek movies show up. That's it. Because we figured out there's basically 11 what can be called feature films kind of for the Muppets. And then there's been 13 for star Trek and we've done all of them. Right. So we're going to need a new like backup segment to do for our feature segments when we run out of ideas, yeah, man. <laughs> we, well, we got a few things that we've done a few times. We just got to decide on a few. That's things. true. We can go back to some segments we haven't done in a while. Yeah. So, we, we've done some stuff like the favorite movies of our, ours that make each other watch. And yeah. And the rule of threes we started and, on that know. one. Yeah. So we get some good stuff up our sleeves. Uh, but before we talk about the future of the show, what, what have you been up to since we talked? Well, man, since we saw each other. A lot has changed. So, um, Oh boy. Howdy. What the audience doesn't know, but Steve knew for a while was that, um, Kate and I, my girlfriend of about two and a half, maybe almost three years, uh, we had planned for a while that we were going to be breaking up. Just, we have uh, different life paths. We're going on. Um, and we just decided just together that we were going to break up eventually at a certain date. So the last part of that was this 10 day trip on the West coast and where I got to see Steven in the last episode, if you listen, uh, we got to see them in person. And so, you know, it was, um, bittersweet that trip and, uh, we got through it. It was a lot of fun, a lot of great memories and then came home and Kate moved out. Uh, so she for a long time now has been working from a different place far away and comes home on the weekends. So it was kind of almost like a long distance thing from that point on anyways. But uh, so she's moved out. I'm here by myself in the house. It's very, very empty and a little lonely here, but I'm getting okay. through and uh, uh, you got pets, right? Well, that's another thing too, is that uh, Kate took her cat with her. Uh, so now my cat bones, who I've had for about seven, eight years now, he's all by himself and he's been whining like crazy. So Aww, poor uh, bones. my mother, who's definitely allergic to cats, had taken in a cat several months ago uh, that was a very sweet cat named Sparky, a little orange cat. Uh, and so I said, I'll take it off your hands so that bones can have a friend. So I'm just now starting to integrate the two of them together. So I've Sparky, the cat locked in my room with like a, another litter box and food, trying to get them used to each other through the door. That's what they recommend on the websites to do that Okay. And for a few days and then in, integrate them together eventually. Uh, so more on that later, but uh, that's been kind of what I'm up to kind of dealing with a new life. And uh, I got a new book deal, a new romance book Ooh, I'm doing. So that's exciting. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of been what I've been up to a lot of, a lot of changes. Well, good. Changes is neither good nor bad. Change is indifferent, but it's always change. Absolutely. So we'll see how, how it turns out for both of us. <laughs> um, well, I, this past weekend, made the mistake of being in my 30s and helping a friend move. Mm. So helping friends move when you're young is different because your friends are in their 20s and they haven't had a whole life to accumulate stuff. <laughs> By the time you're helping your friends that are in their thirties, man, they got some stuff, lots of stuff. Uh, so I get kind of undersold this moving day. I know I'm there as the muscle. Like I get it. Big dude. I'm like six, two or six, three. I get it. Mm. Um, and he was like, so we just have the bed, the couch, uh, a dresser and like the patio furniture and then we're good and we get there and there is so much more than that there's always so much more, more than, than people that, think including a washer dryer on the second floor <laughs> oh no that almost killed me did you guys so get, we you get those straps stuff. those crazy straps that two people use that makes everything really light 
The great uh, well, we dryers. we had a uh, appliance dolly that okay. really was terrible, just terrible. Um, so I am was so sore, so sore the next day. But my wedding ring uh, saved my hand from like certain doom. Is that right? So uh, my wedding ring that I say again, I don't have a precious metal. I got a titanium ring. I didn't want a precious metal. We couldn't really afford it when we were young and dumb. Uh, so I just got something cheap and, and, and hardcore that would last forever. And at nice. one point, the washer, which weighed so much, oh, my God, uh, kind of came down off an edge weird and slammed into my hand. Oh. That would have really, really hurt me straight into the wall. And my ring caught it and took the weight. So basically couldn't go further because it was crushing your ring instead of your hand. Right. And I was able to remove my hand. My ring was still in place between the washer and the wall. Gosh. Right. So my wedding ring saved my, saved my hand. Is your wedding, wedding ring okay? Does it look damaged? No, it's titanium, dude. Nice. That's not going anywhere. That's what I was going to do. I, I, don't, I don't really like gold. So, I mean, I would probably do a silver color, but I wouldn't care what it was made out of. So I'll do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I really just wanted something that I never have to worry about, like, breaking. And our buddy Patrick, who longtime listeners will know, he uh, does a lot of electrical work. So he leaves his special ring at home and just wears a silicone ring because it doesn't conduct electricity. Otherwise, he might die sometimes. That's true. So he's safe about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, bad idea. Steve helped a friend move in his 30s. But you survived. <laughs> oh, man, so sore. I, I don't want to mention one more update. Uh, right now, I'm sitting in my own sweat because... Uh, like we talked about in the last episode, Steve's house has window air conditioners because in the West coast, they don't have, especially in the Northern part, they don't have a lot of, uh, central AC because they don't need it most of the year. So it's pretty hot where you are now. I'm sure still at the moment. Oh Uh, yeah. Well here, uh, my, uh, AC, the fan stopped working on the outdoor unit for our central AC. So it still is blowing air, but it only blows for a while and it stops after a certain point it comes on and off um and so i'm stuck around 78 to 79 degrees in my house which so not unbearable but just uncomfortable just where i'm sweating enough to be uncomfortable yeah it's just like really sucks <laughs> so but <laughs> i walk outside at nighttime it's around the same temperature as it is inside the house and it's just like this is great so they can't come until the first apparently they're biz- booked they're booked until the first summertime is always I mean, all I'm these sure things this break is down. crazy season for yeah. them yeah everyone's jacking up their air conditionings all the way up on, in florida so just like the air conditioning companies are super busy so i can't i'm setting my own filth until the first so it kind of sucks and the cats don't like right. it either so it's fun just make sure to shower regularly <laughs> before i go anywhere i definitely do so i spent today prepping for my book reading and like uh the new book i got to narrate you have to read it first and kind of take notes ask the author questions but i've been to two different coffee houses today trying to get comfortable where it was actually air conditioning and not just sitting in my own filth so that's my life right now <laughs> i think that takes us into some nerdy news nerdy news it's time for nerdy news Alright, so what you got for us this week, Steve? So this week, the cheeky name for my cheeky story is Me So Horny. <laughs> Great. Uh, Australian and New Zealand doctors and scientists have been studying the causation of an increased existence of a bone spur or a cranial protuberance on the back uh, that's happening on the back of skulls in oh, young people. I saw this on TV. <laughs> and it effectively looks like a small horn or a claw almost. Uh, and now they think they figured it out. And we have a generation that is staring down at small devices. Normally the way that the human skeleton is made to work is that your spine takes the weight of your head. When you tilt your head forward to look at a small device, the muscles in the back of your neck take that strain. Well, those muscles are rubbing against the back of your skull and causing calcium buildup Hmm. and causing uh, basically bone spurs on the back of your head that are amounting to a small horn. And did they find some more than one case? They found it in multiple cases? Yes. Well, yes. shit. <laughs> That's not good. Um, but yeah, nothing is proven. Of course, this is just correlative. But now they know what they're looking for, so I bet you it'll be studied further. Yeah, and they've, they've shown the, uh, the x-rays. They're pretty freaky looking. It's just kind of this thing sticking out the bottom of the back of your head. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Uh, what do you bring to us? I'll say, so I got two small stories. Uh, one is that they're of course rebooting another beloved property. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? 
Oh, I'm so excited for this. Yeah. I mean, I loved it as a kid. I wonder if they're going to try to make it more adult, like Stranger Things, so it gets a wider audience, or if they'll keep it more for kids like it was before, because I love this growing up on Nickelodeon. I think that they need to go young adult. I don't think kids, kids. I agree with that, because it's kind of what it was before. It was kind of like for the maybe nine to 14 year olds, maybe would watch it. But before. at the same time, they do need to make it adult enough that it's going to capture the attention of their adult audience. Yeah. Mind you, this is my hope. My belief is that it's going to be like a fully adult, pretty much kind of thing. And I don't think it's an accident. that They're kind of waiting for uh, the people who watched it as kids now have kids that age. Um, well, not only that, but it's a hot moment to strike with things like Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone kind of coming back again. It is a great time to put out like short form horror thriller. Yeah. And that new movie content that we reviewed, I think that's coming out. Um, stories to tell in the dark. Is that what's called? Oh, yeah. 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 Stories to tell in the dark. That was I, I remember having that book around. I couldn't even read it because the cover was so creepy. I couldn't even yeah. touch it. <laughs> But right now the iron is hot, so everyone's striking, and I'm hoping that we get some really great horror, thriller, sci-fi TV out of it. Well, we'll have either to way, no matter what audience it's for. I think. Have you watched much of the Twilight Zone yet? Uh, yeah, we watched a few episodes. Yeah, I only watched the two. We need to watch the rest of it eventually and kind of see how it all pans out. Because there's a lot of stars in that damn show. Oh yeah, it attracted a lot of attention. But yeah, we'll come back to uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark once it comes out. But also, my other story is that oh, yeah. is uh, <laughs> this is related to the cats that I'm trying to reintegrate. So the cat's only been in my room overnight for one, like 24 hours. So I did take the cat out for a little while to try to, you know, introduce it to bones and kind of like let them play with each other and pet both of them at the same time. They recommend doing that. So they kind of get used to the fact that you like both of them. Um, But the new cat went nuts and it dug into my arm and left bloody spots. I'm also allergic to cats, which is fine when I'm on my medication. But if they lick me or if they put their nails into me, I get like. It flares up and I get big hives if they lick me. So I was bleeding all over the place and I and they're all inflamed uh, on my arm. So it was funny. I was looking for news stories earlier for the show. And I found that just now, I think today or yesterday, they made it officially illegal to declaw your cats in the state of New York. It's the first state to do it, to make it illegal to declaw cats. Okay. I was like, that is just too big of a coincidence that it happened just now that the first state ever to do that. And I remember I signed a pledge when I first uh, adopted bones, my cat that I, I would, remember that, that I would never declaw him. Um, and it's just like, you know, but it wouldn't it be great if it didn't have those claws. <laughs> but, and the idea is I should be clipping their claws like once a week, but it is, it's not easy to take a cat and declaw them. I mean, do you declaw your cats? I'm not declaw them, but, but uh, what do you call it? Clip their nails. We do, but we also started training them as kittens to do it. Mm. Mind you, we also don't do it as often as we should. But that's what I should have um, done. Started. We definitely kittens. we started training them young, and because of that, they're used to it. They don't care for it, and occasionally we have a struggle and a mishap. But most of the time, they are chill. They know at the end they get a treat, and they're gonna they're gonna sit through it. You are a better cat owner than I, my friend. <laughs> yeah, get them young. You can do a lot. That's true. But that's the two news stories. I thought that second news story was just a little too creepily related to the holes <laughs> in my arm now. They're still infected. But, you know, we'll move on from there. So what are we just don't going from it? So next, uh, we have a special dopey Dungeons and Dragons. Let the Dungeons and the Dragons begin. It's DNT. Fight with the legends of yore. It's DNT. <laughs> All right. All right. So we have a special derpy version of Dopey Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> per uh, Joshua, uh, the son of one of our longtime listeners and fans, uh, Daniel Hitch, mm-hmm. who asked me to do a Fortnite character named Peely, who is a banana man. And you had to do some research for this one, huh? Because okay, so <laughs> I said I would try hard, and I wasn't lying. Joshua, know that I did this all for you. Oh, uh, so I went and on YouTube and looked up Peely origin stories, and there is a lot of fan fiction, wow. a lot of very bad fan fiction <laughs> about Peely. All right, so there's not an official story. Oh no! Oh no! It was all just like what what people have generated via like online recordings and in-game record. It is. I don't want to say terrible. <laughs> But there's an awful lot of it. Uh, <laughs> awful lot of it. <laughs> but among all these stories are he literally was a banana and was knocked off his tree and grew arms. It, there's all this sort of stuff. The one that I settled on is that he is like a soldier sniper 
that lands on this island and a like witch doctor effectively curses him mm-hmm. to be a banana man. <laughs> So, so that was the background I went with to, to, to attempt to make this character. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. So I stuck to my normal rule set. I did a level seven character. Okay. And, uh, so Peely is a human variant. <laughs> he was because variant, <laughs> right? Banana variant. Uh, I took a feat in place of, uh, uh, for the human variant. I took the sharpshooter feat in recognition of his, like, you know, stealthy snipery kind of stuff. Of course. Uh, which gives you huge uh, damage bonus at the expense of accuracy. Okay. Um, his background is a soldier, so he gets some cool tools that come with that, including commanding respect from lower ranks of soldier, which is pretty cool. Nice. Uh, and then the, the breakout. So I did three levels as fighter and four levels as druid. So three levels as fighter uh, to get proficiency in all the armors and all the good weapons. Nice. Uh, you get the marsh, the uh, fighting style of archery, which I kind of put in place of gunplay, which I think is how a DM would flavor it. Yeah. Uh, which gives you plus two on all your ranged weapons, attacks, and rolls. Because they haven't released a book for 5e yet with uh, guns. I'm sure they will. Eventually. At least not an official one, I don't think. Right. Uh, eventually, you get some re- awesome things. Action Surge and Second Wind, which offers a lot of survivability and surprise factor. And then for the martial archetype, I took... Um, the battle master because of his combat maneuvers and combat maneuvers range from anything from being able to push a character to delay an action, uh, to allow a, one of your teammates to get a better hit on them, all sorts of stuff. And Fortnite has a lot of building traps oh, okay. and corralling your enemy and bringing them into situations that you control. And that was sort of one of the few flavor things I could find that was like that. So you can build houses and stuff in Fortnite, right? As far as I've seen the videos of. Yeah, houses and walls and traps, and it's just insane. <laughs> Some of the videos are absolutely nuts. Um, so then, after three levels in fighter, so that's my idea is that he's fighter, soldier, and then he gets cursed by this shaman, and that's when he takes four levels and drew it. <laughs> fighter drew it. <laughs> uh, and the reason that you're going to take a druid is because you... There's some spells that you need to make this possible. And the one that I have decided to use to make it all possible is bark skin, which is a level two druid spell. All right. Which allows you to have a a 16 AC. It's a spell you cast on yourself or someone you touch Uh, 16 AC, no matter what armor you're wearing and puts a bark like covering on your skin. And by working with your DM, I think you could easily make that a banana peel. (laughs) So you can be peely. The banana druid fighter. <laughs> Mind you, for the druid, you also get some really other cool nature caster stuff, a ton of utility, the ability to turn into wild animals, which is also awesome, even though it's not really part of Peely's character. Uh, and then for, instead of an ability score improvement, I took what is one of my favorite feats, um, crossbow expert. Mm. And so that allows you to ignore the, the loading property of crossbows. So if you get multiple attacks, you can you can shoot your crossbows more than once. Uh, being think of it like f- reloading your gun really fast kind of thing. You can right. think of it that way. Uh, being within five feet of an enemy doesn't cause disadvantage. This is huge. With a ranged weapon, when an enemy is within five feet of you, you get disadvantage on that roll, meaning you have to roll two D20s and you take the lower of the two rolls that come out. So now they can be right in Peely's face. And he's like, I don't even care. I'm going to shoot you anyways. So that's the problem that a lot of range characters have is that they mm. stack really heavy in range, but then as soon as someone's up in their face, they can't do anything. And the DM knows that. <laughs> and crossbow expert takes that completely out. Additionally, if you go with hand crossbows as a bonus action, when you attack with a one handed weapon, you can make a bonus attack with a hand crossbow Hand crossbows are great. So, in theory, if you were able to get two attacks, you could shoot one hand crossbow, shoot another crossbow as an action, and then use your extra attack to shoot the second crossbow because it doesn't have the reloading property. <laughs> so you could shoot three crossbows every turn. <laughs> the Oh, here's the one thing that you could add to it that I forgot to mention. The cantrip Mold Earth. So Mold Earth allows you to make shapes and patterns and stuff in the earth, but also what it does is it allows you to take a five square foot of earth and make it difficult terrain, which means that your enemy has to spend twice the move, the amount of movement to get through it. So this again was one of those only things I could find that was like the trap making that happens in Fortnite. 
And you could think of it as laying a trap of banana peels. But they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Fall that'd over. be great flavor. That would be great <laughs> flavor. So that that Joshua is Peely, the banana man, uh, a three three uh, fighter, four druid, sharpshooter, crossbow expert. And that's all for you, Joshua. And it's really appropriate because later on in the episode, we're reviewing a trailer of banana splits. That's right. The banana splits. <laughs> it's all on theme. Bringing it around. So I think so that takes us now to uh, it go. That takes yeah. us to some Star Trek Beyond talk. Well, I picked that on purpose because it, it's very polarizing because it annoys people that they used Beastie Boys so much in 2009 and this um, so much meaning once in each movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's enough. I'm glad they I think they saw the reaction it had and they actually used it for something cool in this film. But we'll get into that later. Uh, yeah. So Star Trek Beyond. So my initial impressions of this film, right. we'll go into it a little bit more, uh, is that we put up and brings back to our point, quirky neuron. Uh, we put up with a lot of space magic in Star Trek. We accept a lot of things. Mm-hmm. This one had too much space coincidence in it for me to tolerate. What kind of space coincidence? We can go out of, order, out of order here. No, we don't have to. The movie opens with him having the exact thing that the bad guy later needs that he coincidentally has <laughs> and tries to hand over, and then they don't take it. Well, that's the inciting incident. I think from the captain's logs that he that, that um, crawl hears, because he's been listening to all these chatter from Starfleet for hundreds of like 100 years. But he hears the chatter. He finally hears about that particular item from the captain's logs. And that's what initiates everything to happen. So it's not a coincidence it's that so it's there. Lame. He's been 100 years waiting for something to hear about that item. And suddenly he hears something 100 years later. All right, whatever. So for that one, I say too no. much space coincidence. <laughs> I accept space magic. I don't expect space coincidence. But that opening scene was just, I think, so funny. And just like with you think that the aliens he's talking to are huge. He's there as a diplomat. And he's talking to these aliens and they're like booming voices and they get angry at him. They don't accept his propositions to, to uh, make peace with another civilization. They come thundering down. You realize that they're really tiny through a trick of the camera. And it's like, I, that was just really creatively done. That was really cute. Uh, so, yeah. So they end up keeping this piece of space junk that drives the plot. Uh, <laughs> and, and then they sort of reveal they're in the middle of their five-year mission. About three years in, it's monotonous as hell. Every day is almost the same. Captain says it's starting to feel episodic, which I thought was really funny. Uh, it's Kirk's <laughs> birthday again. Him and Bones drink and celebrate. And that's when they kind of reveal through that and other interactions that they're heading to some sort of star base. Yes, the Yorktown star base. Uh, a sort of a shore leave, so to speak. But they bring other they bring their family members out to this star base so that they can meet with them with having to, without having to bring them all the way home. Right. And also, just a side note, Yorktown was what originally Gene Roddenberry was going to call the Enterprise and uh, just through conversations and stuff, end up calling it the Enterprise instead of Yorktown. So I think that was a good choice, but there was a throwback to that, basically. So they're in dock, so to speak, and this a transmission from the middle of the space. No, 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 an escape ship with a transmission. Coming right, right towards the Yorktown. Comes right towards them. Basically, this person saying, help, my crew's been taken. They're clearly in distress. And that's when Kirk meets with I don't remember who the other person, some, an admiral, of Admiral some sort. Paris. There we go. Uh, to discuss this, this transmission and the translation that her crew was marooned and stranded. Uh, and she was able to get, get out. And Admiral Paris, and, by the way, the name being a throwback to uh, Tom Paris from uh, Star Trek Voyager. We don't know if she's actually related because she could be, but she's, <laughs> she's kind of, um, she's middle Eastern looking. So I don't think that's the case. Uh, also that actress is really awesome. She's from the expanse and a lot of other shows. She's that great low rivalry voice. And oh, she does. Yeah. It's yeah. really great. But yeah. Uh, so. so, so she decides to send him and the enterprise out in the midst of this. We find out that in an homage to um, Leonard Nimoy, that that old Spock has died in this timeline. Right, as he had in real life. Oh, and you're so kidding. Because of that, Zachary Quinto Spock decides to leave Starfleet to pursue Spock's endeavor to preserve the Vulcan life and continue their way. Right, and he's trying to find ways to both tell Uhura that and his good friend, Jim Kirk. 
Meanwhile, Kirk is trying to get off of their five-year mission and get stationed at that starbase and take a desk job, basically. Yeah, he wants to be a vice admiral, um, which I think is crazy for a guy who's turning 30 in this movie in canon. Uh, it's going to be a vice admiral. <laughs> it was already crazy well, that he was going to be captain at such a young age. That's the thing. From Star Trek 2009, he, he's already like 10 or 12 years ahead of his normal timeline trajectory. And it's like, I could see him being like, uh, go from captain to maybe a fleet commander or like, uh, I mean, he is already captain the flagship of the star of Starfleet. <laughs> and they wouldn't even need to say vice admiral. They could have just made it some like the director of that star base. Right. And made it its own little position. And, you know, he's been running a crew of X amount. It makes sense. Yeah, that was actually I find more problem with this than any space coincidences is that he thinks <laughs> that it's going to be less boring being a vice admiral at a desk because he's getting bored with being out in the unknown. He thinks it'll be less boring to be at a desk all day. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, good thing he's headed back to the unknown. Right. Because him and the Enterprise are going. <laughs> they get out. Uh, they go past this asteroid belt that has this crazy magnetic field that cuts off all communication. This was another, I felt like, space magic coincidence. Oh, nebulas have been a thing throughout Star Trek forever. Like, oh, you can't see or talk through nebulas. That's like a big. Uh, so there's always been space coincidences. <laughs> oh, especially um, nebulas. They've been like a. A deus ex machina type of thing throughout all of Star so Trek. So as they head out to the location where her crew is supposed to be, another large ship shows up. They try hailing it. Nothing gets back. They zoom in, and that's when you realize it is not one ship. It is thousands and thousands Swarms. of small ships yeah. that swarm the Enterprise, who openly admits that they are not equipped for this kind of thing. And this just starts a very long but very tense uh, action scene of them, this being decimated by this swarm of, of yeah. ships. So the swarm literally cuts through the enterprise, taking out their engines and then their systems, and then basically thwarts them at every step of the way. This led to a editing and timeline error. I feel really? that they did to build tension. And, this, and I put it out to Anna. When we watched it. Um, you know, I think their main engine just been taken out mm -hmm. and Kirk says, Red alert, everyone to battle stations. And the light switches to red, and they show people running through the halls and grabbing guns. Yeah. But at that point, they had not been boarded. There was no indication they were going to be boarded. And then the next shot is them getting hit by the first shift and getting boarded. I just think they cut the scene incorrectly from a timeline perspective. I can make sense. Like There was no indication that everyone should run and get guns. Right. It's like, well, yeah, they didn't really make it clear why he was thinking that there's something going to be boarded. Yeah, you're right. There wasn't a, a, a right. there should have been like an indication like, oh, the, crap, they're going to be boarding us in a second. They should have said something like that. One line. Would be right. fine. And the thing that sucks is that the very next moment was them being boarded. Right. So I was like, why couldn't they have just waited for that moment? And then. So it just felt like an error. It felt like someone screwed up in the editing room. Yeah, they should have just added a line. You're right. That would have made something much more sense. A little bit of ADR would have fixed it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so they get boarded hard. Yeah, because they slam into the ship and just exit out of their little pods and just start attacking. And these things are robots, yeah? No, they're all dudes. That's what was so weird. They said he eventually, in the throwaway line, there's a lot of things that don't quite make sense with the enemies in this film. I like everything else about it, but the enemies. But he says there's a when he got to this planet with the bad guy, there was a drone army of people who are just uh, working the land. And so there's like a huge amount of these kind of like biosynthetic creatures that were created. So I think they're just like, so there's like hundreds of thousands of them or something. Okay. But they are, they are not like enslaved peoples or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. They're kind of like created creatures. They're not, so they're not like robots, but they're just, but just they are robotic, very expendable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they have coordinated attacks. The crew of the enterprise go out like punks. And I was actually a little bit disappointed by that. And it's one of those cliches I hate in most movies where when an invader hits, like there is no opposition. <laughs> <laughs> well, our hero like, characters are very good all, at it. They lose hard. Yeah. Right? Like, like, I think it would have been nicer to see like a little bit that it held out and then get overwhelmed or something. But it was just like, oh, they came out and everyone gets shot. <laughs> yeah, because at certain oh, parts okay. of this film, it's like we show how smart and capable Starfleet people are. But then points like this, you're like, yeah, wait, they're not very capable. What's happening? And then they show the main, the main villains, the guys who are not these like autonomous, random, faceless guys. And they kind of look like if like a Klingon was mixed with like an albino's puckered asshole. <laughs> like, is that, did I get that kind of right? I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe more like a vagina. I know. 
Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of lips. <laughs> yeah, there's on a lot the of side folds. of the head, a lot of folds. You don't really know what they are. They're not a race that we've ever seen before. No. To my knowledge. Um, and they're clearly looking for something. And then through kind of, I'll say, convenient plot exposition when people happen to be listening, it's revealed that they're there for that key that we saw earlier. That sort of started out the film. The thing that he was going to trade to the small people for uh, diplomatic reasons. So apparently, it's, it's like Kirk, an ancient weapon, apparently. Uh, what was that? Kirk orders for them to abandon ship. I'm trying to get my cat away from me. No. <laughs> uh, orders them to abandon ship. And they uh, start evacuating people. Kirk has to run and find the key and then try to find a way to get it off the ship. He entrusts it with a member of the crew. And then he goes back to separate the disc to try to buy people to buy his people time. And that's when crawl the leader of these people crashes into the ship and also boards them and, and starts fighting with Kirk played yeah, by Idris Elba. Uhura gets involved and goes to try to help Kirk, but gets separated from him. And ultimately Kirk does separate the saucer, but Uhura gets trapped with crawl. Right. The enterprise crash is pretty bad. A few people get away in escape pods. Scotty escapes very geniusly in a uh, photon torpedo. And the enemy people start uh, collecting the escape pods. So they keep As them all prisoner. Yeah. Clearly taking everyone prisoner. Right? But what's the best part of this is what creates the rest of the best parts of this movie is the, the groups that are separated. I get to the planet. They, they make the best pairings uh, in this uh, separation. So like, you know, we have Spock and bones and then you have Kirk and uh, um, Chekhov. Um, it's just like, it made some great pairings for the rest of the movie. So I, I agree that some of those pairings are really nice. I did like Spock and bones. I could have done without Jayla and Scotty. It seemed a little bit overindulged. I love that. The part. Jayla character, the Jayla character in general seemed a little confusing to me. I That was like the least of my problems. The film. Um, but really my, my issue mm-hmm. with the, this film in general was the pacing because you're right. That last scene with them getting boarded and that it's like a 15, 20 minute sequence is the most intense scene probably in, in all the new JJ verse. Yeah, and it was it was a long, long action sequence, and you were worried there was intensity, there were beats to it, like it drove. And then to get sort of the minutes of the film where we take moments to to take some slower character moments, these interactions, it really the the pace change was jarring for me. I think that's also a problem with the director Justin Lin. People are already worried about him taking over this because he in previous films had only done Fast and the Furious films as far as big budget pictures. Um, so they were like, okay, so they're going full action, are they? And, but I think he wanted to prove himself as a character guy. So I think you're right. Maybe he did too fast of a quick three, six or one eighty to like the, the character scenes, but to the point where it felt like not enough happened in the middle of the film because of they, they went off on this fever pitch really early. Yeah, it was a big, and it wasn't a lot of these films. They start off with a big action sequence in the beginning, like the whole James Bond kind of established that back in the sixties and seventies, where you open with a big action sequence. And so it kind of kicks the film off. Whereas this, it like started off kind of funny and and character moments and then had this 20 minute action sequence. And so I I can see your point. I didn't think about that until you mentioned it, but that's kind of true. But but that's really my issue because it just felt like not enough happened comparatively to what had happened. Right. So Scotty meets uh, Jayla, who is an escapee from the bad guys. Uh, Spock is terribly injured. Him and Bones, uh, Bones patches him up and they make their way across this planet. And Chekhov and Kirk, as well as the traitorous captain who led them into this trap and betrayed them, end up together. Right. Uh, And basically the, the, the remainder of their time is these three groups converging and finding each other. And so when Leonard Nimoy, not Leonard Nimoy, what am I saying? When Spock and Bones uh, crash, uh, Spock is impaled a little bit with a piece of uh, debris. So there's funny sequences with him getting delirious and actually laughing and and being really sad about things, and because he's just right. he's completely out of his mind because he's losing a lot of blood and Bones is trying to save him. And it's just it's great scenes. I mean, I think this film out of the three has the best character moments out of all three films. Um, and it's just you're right it's stuck in a kind of not a problematic film as far as pacing and stuff but definitely has the best character moments um so they come back together it's revealed that jayla has been living in this old starfleet ship that was thought lost 
like a hundred years ago or 120 years ago, something like that. During Star Trek Enterprise time period. Yeah, with Scott Bakula. It's got older tech and older transporters and all sorts of fun old stuff. Um, and that's when they are able to find the rest of the crew because Spock gave her a tracking beacon that she didn't know about. Inadvertently, because it was a piece of uh, Vulcan like material stone that has a certain radioactive signature, but it's not harmful to, to humans or biological pe- entities. So it's easily trackable, but that wasn't why he gave it to her, but they still gave him shit about it, which is pretty funny. <laughs> he basically gave her a tracking device. <laughs> um, so they are able to locate them and then they say they need a plan to get them back. And so this is where I feel like the movie really redeemed itself to me in a lot of ways, because I remember when I first saw this and I think Anna and I went and saw it in theaters. I said to myself, oh, they're going to like blow something up as a distraction and shoot up a bunch of people. And then someone's going to go and get everyone else out. Mm-hmm. And I really thought like that. OK, I can see the rest of the movie. So then when they go in there on like a motorcycle and they make the, the, the walls behind them and all the different um, like holograms zipping in and out, I was really impressed that they weren't just blowing stuff up. Well, good. Yeah, that was a really fun scene because they used all the technology that Jayla had. And so it made it more interesting. Right. It felt, and, and Quirky Neuron may not like me for this, uh, but it felt very Star Trekky. Like it felt like they found the smarter, better, cooler way to do something. And I, as the audience member, got to watch it happen. And we get to see Kirk be a badass, which is also fun. Uh, so they're able to rescue almost everybody, get everyone out. Uh, in the meantime, we get a little bit more background before this happens. We, we get background on the bad guys. We kind of skip that storyline. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, or Herla, or it only kind of happened around this captured. time, so we didn't totally skip it. Um, and it turns out that these bad guys are like leeching life off of the crew and like absorbing them in some way. Yeah, we kind of figure out later on, too, so that we can go through it now. But basically, Crawl, Idris Elba, uh, who's criminally only seen for like 30 seconds in this film with his actual face. Um, he was with this. He was a captain of this ship back in the uh, Scott Bakula enterprise period. And he was an ex soldier, a Mako soldier. And uh, they crash here. And the native people are these drones he talked about. And they live forever, basically by taking life off of things and off of each other. So he used that technology to basically take charge of them. And only him and two other people survived eventually of his crew. So they forever just live off these drones and they start looking like what they leech their life off of. So they look, start looking like the drones um, and they have this weird, you know, vagina heads. And uh, so yeah, it's real weird. <laughs> so that's how he's lived. And I took it as not only the drones, but they leech off of whatever life they find that comes to their planet, whatever comes to them, whatever crash lands there, whatever they can pick off in space. That's what they they have. So they and then they show that not only that, but the absorption makes them change their features and they look different. Right. So that means that they're probably a mix of tons of things, all the different things that they've absorbed, which is why they don't look like any race we've seen before. Yeah. Very new. Um, so they rescue them. They get them out. The crew uh, escapes and gets aboard the old ship, which they somehow got up and running. Uh, <laughs> Eventually. But in order to launch it, they have to get basically a head start. So they've got to almost crash the ship <laughs> the oh, push cliff. it off of a cliff and it was i said on my notes i was like that terminal velocity scene may not be scientific but it was awesome <laughs> it was awesome uh and the head start sulu is able to fly it and pulls them out and they get back into space uh meanwhile they find out that krull or whatever the hell his name is is heading towards that space station with all the families and, and personnel town. and stuff because he plans to unleash this terrible evil super death weapon there that's going to kill everybody and he's got to get into the air system it's basically a biological weapon that makes you melt so uh <laughs> he's putting and in the, air system. the key for was to control it right so they race him there they get there they figure out where he is and then there's kind of like a non i felt like this the 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 scene was cool don't get me wrong with kirk and him chasing and the different gravity changes as they're jumping from gravity current to gravity current I thought that was very cool, but I felt like it wasn't like there just wasn't enough happening for like the big climax of the movie. Yeah. And I felt like they, he really missed opportunity to have full on Idris Elba. Like he needed to have absorbed a bunch of humans 
to make himself real powered up and then look just like himself again because he has more human DNA in him and then have a nice he did look a little bit off they had some sort of prosthetic on right he still looked a little off and like they could have had like a full fight scene with him being fully Idris Elba versus Chris Pine and it would have been like more impactful so I think you're right the fact they kind of something was missing from that final fight scene it wasn't quite as cool as it could have been but he eventually goes stops him and then just like any other Star Trek the bad guy is destroyed by the thing he wanted most Right. He gets he eaten, gets alive eaten by up the, by the biological thing and they save the day. Yeah. And then they have a birthday party for Captain Kirk that he didn't want to have, but he still loves it anyway. And we see the last few scenes with uh, our checkoff because even if they make a fourth film, he that actor is now sadly passed away. Yeah, Anton Yelchin. Yeah. He died like three weeks before this premiered. Yeah, it's an incredibly sad accident where a car just rolled into him and he died alone while it was it crushed him slowly to death. Wall, yeah crazy um so overall not a bad film i did like certain aspects of it but i felt it suffered from pacing issues and i know that you said it's not coincidence but it felt it just felt like there were certain aspects of the plot that were a little forced that i think could have been more natural yeah i think that i think the first film suffered from that a lot a lot of the and just or just confusing plot lines that that there were even cut scenes that would have made things make more sense in both these films um so they had some issues with making things a little too convoluted. Just make things a little more. It would have, be less coincidental if they just made things a little more simple, you know, instead of making it so complicated. So I think they kind of suffer from that sometimes. But this is still of a JJ films. My favorite one, uh, just because of okay. the great character moments. But we'll get into that more later, I guess. Um, uh, well, that. Yeah, I have some trivia for it. It's some fun stuff. I'll go through it quickly. Uh, okay. So Simon Pegg revealed in a press conference that the character J-Law was inspired by Jennifer Lawrence in the film Winter's Bone. We were trying to create this very independent character. Um, and whoops. Uh, but the name was very long of the character. So the character, the writer and actor joked. So it started getting tiring, always saying Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone is fighting here. So then we started calling her J-Law and then she became Jayla. <laughs> so that's how it happened, basically. Uh, the reference about the rumor that the USS Franklin might have been captured by some green space hand is a reference to the episode Who Mourns for Adonis, where there's a big, big green space hand in the episode in the original series. Uh, Alice Eve does not return as Dr. Carol Marcus during this film, and she is not mentioned. And her absence is unexplained, because in the ending of the previous film, Carol Marcus became a member of the Enterprise crew and joined them in their five-year mission. And I forgot all about that. <laughs> I didn't realize that happened. But apparently she just wasn't there in a July 2016 interview with New York magazine. John Cho said that it was important to him for Sulu's husband, Ben, to be Asian. Also, early on, I said to Justin Lin, dude, it would be important to me to have an Asian husband. Basically, it was uh, it was a little Valentine to the gay Asian friends that I grew up with. This may be presumptuous, but I always felt that gay Asian gay men that I knew had much heavier cultural shame issues. This is probably more so as for my generation than for yours, meaning the interviewer who was older. But I felt like those guys didn't date. um, Those guys didn't date Asian men because of that cultural shame. So I want to see it really normal in the future. I thought that would be the most normal thing, that there was zero shame in the future. I don't know if that hit or not, but it was something that I felt in my gut and asked for that. Um, And so the funny thing was that later on, they were filming that scene in Dubai and they couldn't find an Asian man who would pl- agree to play a gay character. So they had, uh, they had to ask the co-screenwriter, Doug Jung, who is not an actor, to play the role. So the co-screenwriter of the film is just the guy who played the gay Asian guy. Because they nice. couldn't. Yeah, because Dubai is very conservative. Um, a man named James Kirk is the lead effects technical director in this film. Which is really funny. I didn't know that. Didn't okay, know that. killer. And two hmm. more. Um, according to Idris Elba on Facebook live chat with Zoe Saldana, the black eye that Chris Pine has in the final fight scene with Idris Elba is not makeup. It's a real black eye that Pine got when they got a little too rough during filming, which is kind of fun. And yeah. the last thing, Crawl is revealed to have been a Mako soldier. He claims to have fought the Zindi. Both were first introduced in the third season of Star Trek Enterprise. And his reference to fighting during the Romulan conflict as well hints at the unused plot line for the series unfilmed fifth season because Enterprise really was aching for that fifth season where they're going to fight the Romulans and it never happened. But that was a thing. Uh, okay. So that's all for the, uh, the Star Trek Beyond. And that's all for the Star Trek movies. And that's all for the Muppet movies, too. That is just so crazy that we got through all of those. So now that we have both watched all of them on both sides, I asked Jarman and I also myself. 
made a list of I made Star Trek. I had him do Muppets worst to best Mm -hmm. where we think they fall in rank. Okay, so uh, let's start out with Star Trek. All right. And I'll work worst from worst from best. And so the way I broke this up is I chose what I thought was my favorite. And then I broke the rest up into chunks. Basically, the other four that I thought were best, the four I thought were worst. And then I sort of figured it out from there where they actually fit. I kind of did mine the same way. So at the very bottom, we have insurrection. Uh, I think insurrection has the weakest enemies, uh, the most muddled plot sort of of all of them. Okay. After that, I have final frontier, which was just sort of over the top. And the, the, the whole search for God thing, who just, it, the whole thing was a little bit over the top for me when it comes to Star Trek. What does God need the starship? Just above that is nemesis, which at least had a clear villain. Um, but the Jean-Luc Picard clone thing was a little tenuous. Um, and some of the scenes with Tom Hardy felt a little bit overindulgent through the whole thing. All right. Uh, just above that, I have Into Darkness, which we covered extensively relatively recently, sort of our overall issues with that movie. Most of them falling on the fact that we didn't think that um, Cumberbatch stood up as the villain for the film. We otherwise love Cumberbatch, but just not in that role. Uh, just above that, I've got Undiscovered Country, uh, which I liked, but... Um, it's a little bit campy. It was right at the end. Like it was the last one they did for a reason. It's Klingon uh, Shakespeare fun, movie. Yeah. It's a Klingon Shakespeare movie, a fun kind of jail escape, but otherwise very predictable. Gotcha. Just about that. I have beyond All sort right. of right in the middle, which we just reviewed just above beyond eking it out is the motion picture. Oh, wow. Got pretty high. Actually. Just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking shaves of a point here. But I did love the story of that movie. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, so now we're in the top six. So uh, right above that, I've got Generations. Two casts, a nice handoff. Some of the, the, the time travel slash the ribbon thing got a little <laughs> bit wishy-washy here and there. Um, but overall, a lot of fun to see everybody on the screen together. Nice. Above that, I've got Search for Spock, which uh, I think, as we discussed, gets sort of a rap for being a bad Star Trek film, but really isn't. Yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't bad. It's kind of forgettable, but it's not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, above that, I've got Star Trek 2009. Mm-hmm. Just over that uh, is Wrath of Khan in third place. And for the original, I put Voyage Home above Wrath of Khan. I'm fair. I'm good with that. Uh, just barely, but but there. It was that enjoyable, and they really hit their marks, and good comedy and consequences great movie uh and in first place my favorite is a uh, star trek first contact that's not very controversial <laughs> the, the borg are an excellent villain it gave the cast something strong powerful and something actually threatening to play against through the movie mm-hmm. and it really added up to a great tense well-driven film so i think star trek first contact in my opinion is the best star trek film that's happened and that's directed by jonathan frakes it was Riker to himself. And what's great is that someone who's not a giant Star Trek fan, you have not watched much of the series at all. Not really? No. Um, you've come to the same conclusion, at least about what the bottom films are. Um, I've listened yes. to hundreds and hundreds of hours of different podcasts about Star Trek. And every different host always says that at the bottom is usually they say nemesis, which I disagree with. So I'm glad that you found the conclusion that it wasn't the worst because I don't think it is the worst. Um, but insurrections usually around there too. I also don't mind that movie, but that's the same. It's in the bottom spots. And then also the, uh, the, uh, the, what is God need the starship movie? Yeah. Final frontier. Yeah. People don't like that one. Either. What does God need the starship? So yeah. All right, German, let's hear the Muppet movie. Worst to best. I'm so excited right. to hear this. I, you had very varying opinions. I did throughout the whole thing. Um, compared to what I thought you would have, honestly, a few times. And I'm so curious, I'm as a true Muppet fan, what you're going to think of this. But I think we both agree on the worst. Uh, Muppet Wizard of Oz. Muppet Wizard of Oz, yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. I'm wearing big floppy shoes. Um, I try to enjoy every movie I see. Steven knows this about me, but that yes. movie was just trash. Um, Agreed. So Agreed. right above that, everything above that, none of this is trash, in my opinion. Like, okay, fair. They're all have their own decent qualities. So I don't want you to think this is a terrible movie, but 
right above that, I have it's a very Muppet Christmas movie. Okay. Um, it was just like, ah, yeah. And then the Muppet Christmas Carol, right above that. I know um, that you did not care for that one particularly. And I remember liking that more when I was a kid, but watching it now, I'm like, this is like just not paced very well. Same kind of pacing problems. Um, then above that, I have Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, okay. I did enjoy Tim Curry in that, but just there were the songs I didn't like very much. I remember just kind of like, uh, just it didn't hit yeah, really well. One of your complaints throughout has been that you don't think the Muppet performers do a good job as singers. You've had that complaint a few times here and there. And it's not a problem when the song is funny and written well. It doesn't matter that they're bad singers. I, I, that's why other movies do it better because they make a well-written song that's funny entertaining because they're not good singers they're are they doing character voices so they shouldn't be doing ballads that are like four minutes long that are really slow because it sounds terrible <laughs> just kind of a weird right. weird thing for my brain to get a hold of uh after that muppets take manhattan okay so we're getting in the middling space here where things were like yeah these yeah. are pretty good i'm surprised that's not higher but that's fine um and then muppets from space above that Okay, so just just to make sure I understand, you were saying that you, that you liked Muppets from Space better than Muppets Take Manhattan. Yes. Wow. I like alien stuff. That would be controversial. Oh. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. That would be controversial. Well, get get a little of the next one. Follow that bird above Muppets from Space. That I'm okay with. That I am perfectly okay And it might be part of my bias as a child watching that movie and loving it. It's just attached to me, and it's, I think it's a well-made well, not only that, It's a well-put-together movie. Yeah conjoining storylines different goal like it's just a very good movie and then above that i have the great muppet caper i really yeah, okay remember yep, and, yep, yep. i don't remember a lot of details about that to be honest but i remember really enjoying it um and the one the one thing that almost made muppets take manhattan higher was the the colombo scene <laughs> but that was because that was just wonderful <laughs> peter Falk. hey what are you gonna do about it <laughs> you know put your business that bum ernie down the street that almost busted that movie above Fall That Bird, but I, I put it down. Not quite. Uh, so after a great Muppet caper, I have Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, okay. Because I, I did enjoy it. I really liked Ricky Gervais. And it, it was a good, it just felt, followed a good formula. The Muppets were at their best. I thought that was really good. And then Muppets 2011 above that. Okay. That was just a really, that movie moved me. And I think I teared up a few times. And it was just very cute and emotional and good songs and all that. And then in the very top, the Muppet movie okay, is my fair. favorite. I, I think that your your very top of the list and very bottom of the list would not be controversial. With right. Any Just those two thing. movies. <laughs> like others may argue that like maybe Caper is one. You know, there's a lot of those kind of arguments, but nobody would argue that, my, you know, my Wizard of Oz wasn't just a terrible piece of garbage. <laughs> and I think that it's funny. The two TV movies are at the bottom. Uh, uh, I'm actually kind of surprised. Um, I would put a very merry Muppet Christmas movie above a few of those. Hmm. I just like it because it's a little bit more subtle than some of the other Muppet stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I did like some of the scenes like the Whoopi Goldberg stuff. And it's just kind of like, I mean, it was there's too much David Arquette. <laughs> there just is. Yeah. And he was just and there's really rough <laughs> jokes that weren't very funny. And it's just, uh, yeah, kind of awkward. But um, there's good parts in it. But no, the, the top and bottom, no one would be surprised by that. <laughs> Because, yeah, Muppet movie was perfect. I think it was it was great. Spectacular. Great songs, entertaining. It felt like the Muppets. It was just exactly what you want it to be. Well, I think that takes us into some trailer reviews. Does it now? It does now. Here at A Play on Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. We at the low, low this. end of the scale, we have <laughs> Burn It, where we think you should find every copy you can get your hand. All right, so you guys know what our reviews are. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're coming up with something it. new. It'll be a scale of some sort, simpler. We're working on it, but in the meantime, we'll just use the old one for this for this. Yeah, one. and then we'll but figure you know it out. It. We'll figure it out for the next episode. Him and I will have a little yeah. conference. Uh, so both movies look interesting. They're both horror or suspensey kind of films. Both very different. <laughs> yes, very different. Uh, can we start with the banana splits? Why not? So. <sighs> We'll just play the trailer first. It's pretty <laughs> short. Sweetheart, we are going to the banana splits. Sometimes at night, I see the splits riding around in the little cars, laughing and singing. Who's excited to see the banana splits? Yeah! Rebecca, 
I'm canceling the show. What? What? Hi, kids. Put on your ha- happiest faces because the Banana Split Show is about to begin. Where are the children? Mom, get out of here. Time's almost up. Why are you doing this to me? Dad, please! Let me out! Now the show can go on forever and ever and ever! Come on, you fuzzy son of a... I just really want your brother's birthday to be perfect. We're gonna have so much fun! So this looks like a crazy mix between like death to smoochie killer clowns from outer space and Westworld in like the best way possible. Now, did you ever watch the the stream, a play on nerd streams uh, back in the day of us playing five nights at Freddy's? No, but I know some of the characters look similar. So, well, the weird part is, is that of course, if you guys know banana splits back in the day, uh, I watched it as a kid on some kind of different channel because it was it came out before I was a kid. Um, but it was it was a actual cute kids show. And so, how in the world they got the rights and permissions to make this into a horror film when it was actually a legit kids show back in the day? I I have no idea. But the thing is, the in this trailer, it's a kind of a direct ripoff of Five Nights at Freddy's, a very popular PC game that even little kids have got into somehow, even though it's a horror game and pretty scary. Uh. But even at one point in the trailer, part of the cre- the uh, character's uh, fabric is ripped off and you can see machinery underneath. And that's in Five Nights at Freddy's and not in the original Banana Splits, of course, at all. So I think they're really right. playing off the popularity of Five Nights at Freddy's because they have keychains and toys and all that shit for Five Nights at Freddy's now. So good for them. They're playing off of it, but it's just it's weird. But you thought this looked actually good, though. <laughs> I don't think it looks good. I think it looks like an insane campy horror film that I would love to watch on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. It's going straight to video or in streaming. So that's no place you can see it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, this one gets a, a give it a buck. I said, we'll see, but if it was our old, old system, I'd say drunk watch because it's nostalgic. Cause I used to watch that show when I was a kid. And well, in it, that case, then I'm going to go with get the couch ready. Oh my God. I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> just do whatever you want see the movie or not i don't give a shit (laughs) yeah we'll get a number system later like eh, four out of five stats i'm gonna give this one out of six gary Buseys. oh i like it i like it a lot all right so the next movie i guess the less gary Buseys, the better (laughs) yeah that's actually a good thing so the next one we have is a beautiful artistic horror film called midsummer or midsummer I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skål! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. (sighs) What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. 
I was most excited for you to come. <sighs> All right. So same director as Hereditary. And if you guys have not seen Hereditary and you like horror films, it was the scariest movie I have ever seen in the best way possible. Um, it was beautiful, well acted, gorgeous and terrifying. This looks freaky and scary in the vein of movies like Wicker Man that have come before it. Uh, cultish interactions, possibly psychedelic drugs, maybe human sacrifices. Uh, it looks intense at the very least. I, I'm going to give this one out of six Gary Buses. <laughs> and it's like a very, all, very low amount of Gary Buses. Because that's what you want. Uh, and it's like all filmed during the day, it looks like, which is kind of cool for a horror film. It's or gonna, do we want to do it out of Raul Julia's? Oh, you want 20. It's like Raul we give Julia's. this five, five Raul Julia's. <laughs> right. Or we just assign some arbitrary amount. I'm going to give this 13 Raul Julia's. I'd say at least 34 Raul Julia's. Yeah. Ooh, 34 that high. Wow. Yeah. So All right. This is something I'm definitely going to see. And uh, I'm probably going to see it once and never see it again because it'll be so scary in a good way. <laughs> so that brings us uh, to some radical recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. So what you got so for this week this time? In my continuing deep dive of YouTube, finding mundane people doing mundane things, but being very excited about them and passing on that excitement to you, I found a guy, Connor Ward, or the Lawn Rebel. Nice. This guy started out making kind of random videos and then did one about how to cut Kentucky bluegrass. And his... his channel just kind of went nuts from there he's got five years of content wow and it's all about lawn care and most of it is about grass like not like <laughs> like horticulture and there is stuff about plants he talks about choosing the right flowers and choosing the right perennials but he also talks about how to level a lawn and how kentucky bluegrass is cut and how to do how to properly like edge and do that kind of stuff and different types of mowers and different kinds of mulches and feeds and and once again, it's super mundane, but his excitement and obvious enthusiasm for it passes on to you as an audience member. That's what makes a good YouTube channel just somebody being really authentic and passionate about something, no matter what the hell it is. So you can find him as Connor Ward or more easily Lawn Rebel on YouTube. And how do you because you're we'll say right up bat, Steve lives in an apartment, so you don't even have a lawn. So how do you find this, this uh, YouTube channel? Uh, well, I use like a YouTube channel aggregator hmm. where I can set minimum and maximum users and minimum and maximum subscribers and views. Uh, and it helps me dial in on these smaller content. Nice. These people that are, are, are putting out great content. And most of them have highly um, like regular addicted listeners where they have 46,000 subscribers and every six Every single one of their video has 44,000 views because they're all watching every video because everyone's watching every video. That's and, amazing. And those are the sort of the, the people I look for. And that takes work and dedication to make a channel like that. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, very um, cool. So, yeah, Lawn Rebel Connor Ward. Well, I've got a freaking lawn, so I need to watch this channel now. That's right. <laughs> and what's your radical recommend? All right. So for me this week, I got a uh, good omens, which is not going to be like a. You know, no one's heard of this thing, but basically it's a, a book that was both by Terry Pratchett and by uh, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Uh, they wrote together. It's on Amazon. It's a limited uh, release. So basically it's it was one book. So there's just um, six episodes. And it's not even a very big book at that. Oh, I haven't read the book, but that's great to know because I want to read it now. Um, basically stars uh, David Tennant of Doctor Who and uh, other shows fame. You know from everything and Jessica Jones and all that jazz. And uh, then... Um, Oh, my God. His name. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he was in 30 Rock. Played Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes. That's right. His name was Wesley Snipes. But he's also in. Uh, I saw him originally in Underworld and yeah. also yep. Frost versus Nixon. Uh, he was it also, doesn't matter what his name is. We he was married guy. to Sarah Silverman for a while there. It was pretty cool. Sure. Uh, great British actor. Uh, but they basically an angel and a demon. And they're uh, trying to stop the, the whole world from ending because they like Earth. They like being on it. They've been on Earth for the whole 6,000 years, as they put it. They kind of jokingly say that the Earth is 6,000 years old. It actually is in this show. Um, but it's all the same kind of humor you expect from Neil Gaiman, but a lot of fancy elements that Terry Pratchett can bring into it. And um, it's amazing. The show is so good. Um, and uh, from Fargo, what's her name? Plays God. Uh, yeah, I love her. Forgetting her name, too. Francis McDermott. Francis McDermott. Yeah, she plays the voice of God in this whole thing, kind of narrating the whole process. Um, 
but definitely worth a watch. And now I'm going to read the book because it's on Amazon, Amazon Prime. If you have that, just six episodes, check it out. And a funny scandal broke out where people were so pissed at how, how much this kind of makes fun of religion in some ways, but also it's kind of respectful of religion. Idiots everywhere petition Netflix to turn it off, despite the fact that it wasn't a Netflix show. So not only do they want Netflix to cancel it, which it can't be canceled because it's a limited release. There's only going to be six episodes, but it's not even on Netflix. It's on Amazon. So they were wrong on two counts, which was pretty funny. But it's it actually it it jabs at religion, but also kind of respects it in some ways. I mean, the important thing is that they won because there will be no more episodes and mm-hmm. it's not on Netflix anymore. Yeah. So they won. Good for them. I think Netflix tweeted uh, done deal. You got it. That's what I put, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Uh, well, that has been the conclusion uh, of a long run of Star Trek and Muppet movies reviews. Thank you for joining us for all of them. I assume it's been all great. Of you. Uh, we'll keep coming back with more great nerdy content. We don't know quite what it's going to be yet, but that means we're going to come up with something new for you guys. We will rule three. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, we'll keep coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts. If you guys keep coming back and being our nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how? How?